all these fabulous people we have in organizations that's why it matters and why it matters so much more now in the types of organizations we work in where nobody knows the answers everything mm. is uncertain and we're making things up and it's all knowledge workers in businesses where that wasn't the case you could absolutely get away without it but nobody in the firms I'm in nobody's making widgets nobody's following rules nobody's just putting pieces together they are using their own ingenuity and uh, their own discretionary effort and that's what you're getting to uh, mm. with the psychological safety so if people are doing well how much better could they do still if they were to work on greater psychological safety? Hello, and welcome to Voices with Talking Talent, the podcast that explores the real issues people face in the workplace. This is a space to have the open and brave conversations that inspire change and spark action. We're Talking Talent, and every week we'll be joined by a different guest. Stay tuned for discussions on the issues that business leaders are trying to overcome and what the future looks like for truly diverse and inclusive organizations. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast today. The topic is psychological safety at work. And I'm delighted to be joined by Katie Giacardi from Invesco. Katie, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, thanks, Lucinda. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I'm, as you say, I am from Invesco. I'm currently head of talent there, responsible for our talent acquisition and our talent development for the EMEA region. Uh, so really big focus for me at the moment around our high performance culture. And that's where the psychological safety at work piece fits in for me. Brilliant. Thank you. And yes, we'll come to that piece on the link between psychological safety at work and high performance culture. I know we had a great conversation around that earlier in the summer and we wanted to hear more from you on it, which is why we've planned to do this podcast and share your views, really important and helpful views on the subject with our audience. So we talk quite a lot about psychological safety and, and we've done a few podcasts actually on it at Talking Talent, but I think it's really important to hear your views and kind of start us off with what would you say is psychological safety in the workplace? Yeah, sure. I saw actually that you've done um, a previous podcast uh, really with the, I guess, the academic perspective. So hopefully maybe I can bring you a bit of that, but more the practitioner kind of in-house perspective as well. So I think I, I always kind of hang my hat on the kind of Amy Edmondson perspective of what psychological safety is, given she she kind of coined the phrase for us all. But the way I see it is psychological safety is not just the ability to be able to speak out and say what you think, share your ideas. Uh, it's also the the feeling of being always expected to do that. So not just that candor mm. is allowed, but almost that it's implicitly almost expected of me within the context in which I work. And uh, that other people might, I wouldn't be getting what they deserve from me or from you as an individual in that context, if you're not speaking out and sharing sharing your thoughts. Um, so I think that that belief that it's allowed, but belief that it's expected and attached to that, the belief that speaking out and doing what you need to do is never going to be punished or have negative consequences for you within your organisational context. Yeah, so that piece around it almost being expected as part of being part of that company, that that culture, part of the role almost within whatever they do. Yeah, almost that like you wouldn't quite be doing 
your best for your team, for your firm, um, for your clients, if you weren't doing that. Whereas I think sometimes people feel like the best thing to do is to to hold back, mm. uh, to minimize that risk of maybe see it. I love the way Amy Edmondson puts it. So minimize the risk of being seen to be either incompetent, disruptive. You know, all of us are, are manage those expectations of others with us all the time. Mm. But in an organization where you've got true psychological safety, those things aren't managing those impressions aren't the things that are valued actually the thing that is valued is getting all the good stuff out of everyone. Mm, I love that the way that you say that all the good stuff because I think and we'll probably go into this as we go through but that piece around actually using that word disruptive I mean that that's going to be challenging for some people isn't it and I know that's not what you're suggesting is is to everyone to suddenly be disruptive but I think that idea of you know even just the advocacy you know for for yourself as an individual that isn't doesn't always come easy to everybody in the workplace does it well absolutely and I think again different people in different contexts find this easier or not as easy as others to create and also to exist within uh, mm. a culture where the, this is present is, is sometimes easier or more difficult for, for different individuals, for different teams, um, and in and different different broader cultural contexts as well. Um, in my life, I'm very focused in my work life on the EMEA region, but I'm really conscious that some of this work that I do when I uh, liaise with colleagues maybe in other regions of the world doesn't uh, it doesn't work quite exactly the same and we need to bear that in mind I think as we um, as we work through these types of concepts. Yeah really really interesting so when psychological safety is present what does that mean for an organisation and actually I don't know if you can say this but what does it feel like to be part of that organisation or what should it feel like? When you feel it I think it is that feeling of expectation within yourself that by making a full contribution um, and not holding back your ideas, not holding back your questions, giving of your whole thoughts and, and feelings about situations is that would be the feeling that you'd have that that was the expectation. And it would feel that that would be done without any, as I said, without any risk to yourself. Within this, there's often a misunderstanding, I think, of what psychological safety is. And I think that can be when things get a bit tricky when you're trying to describe to people what will it feel like. And I, and I, I don't know whether you've heard this from any of your previous people before, but I think psychological safety isn't about niceness. Mm. So it's not about just being unilaterally nice all the time. It's actually it's not about agreeing on everything. It's not about applauding every idea that comes up or making sure that people feel that their performance standards don't matter. It, it's it actually it can be quite a tough feeling, a t more, more tough love than soft love. That it is about having healthy conflict mm. in a team environment or corporate environment where there's good psychological safety. The feeling would be one of actually good, robust conversations. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't be having boring meetings. You'd be having interesting meetings where people were debating and you know in a very like personally sensitive way this isn't about personal attack ever when it comes mm. to having psychological safety but it also isn't about just the nodding and the yesing and the, and the niceness that maybe people sometimes think is what we're talking about when we mention psychological safety they misinterpret um where it fits in yeah I think you're right there can be that kind of sense of well it's just it, it's so everyone feels warm and fluffy and you know kind of safe uh, that, isn't, but, that, that isn't the thing that it's no. that, that it's that it's saying actually warm and fluffy isn't what you'd feel mm. 
you'd feel quite you'd feel challenged you'd feel a feeling of expectation upon you to contribute um to offer maybe a contrary view which isn't always comfortable is it to offer the contrary view when you're in a a, a situation in a group but the, if there's psychological safety the expectation is that you will do that and that you will not be in any way as i say humiliated or punished for that 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 would be that would be appreciated uh, that those ideas would be explored drawn out and worked on together it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be done yeah that's the other thing as well people sometimes again in the misinterpretations it can be but I made a contribution I mean, mm. I shared my idea but my idea wasn't done and it's like it's not necessarily saying every single idea will always be actioned but it is saying that all ideas can be shared safely and heard and absolutely heard acknowledged explored understood but like in everything we always have to make choices and decisions about what we do and don't do mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm sure I'm sure you've maybe come across some of these opinions before, but there, you know, there will be some opinions to say, well, why? What does this matter? You know, we've we've existed, you know, businesses are successful. I have a successful business. You know, my people are happy, et cetera, et cetera. What does it matter? So what, what would you say to them? And look, I think it's um, I can understand. I can understand why people come at it from that perspective. My perspective is that actually, yes, a business can be successful in the absence of that psychological safety, I would say it would be impacting the the longevity of that success. So you can be successful more short term without this existing, but over time, I disagree that that success would necessarily be sustained. Mm. And you may be being successful in spite of not having it, but how much more successful that kind of the good to great opportunity that people have within their businesses that they're maybe not exploring or making the most of because they're just not hearing, like I said, all the good stuff that's hidden inside all these fabulous people we have in organisations. That's why it matters and why it matters so much more now in the types of organisations we work in where nobody knows the answers. Everything Mm. is uncertain and we're making things up and it's all knowledge workers in businesses where that wasn't the case, you could absolutely get away without it. But nobody in the firms I'm in, nobody's making widgets, nobody's following rules, nobody's just putting pieces together. They are using their own ingenuity and uh, their own discretionary effort. And that's what you're getting to uh, mm. with the psychological safety. So if people are doing well, how much better could they do still if they were to work on greater psychological safety? Yeah. And it's it, what came to mind when you were talking is that sense of you, you know, you may be doing what you're doing and doing well, but you may only be exploring 10 percent of actually the talent and the knowledge and the thinking within your organization. But by creating psychological safety, you could explore so much more, Not maybe not 100 percent, but you could certainly explore so much more and reap the benefits of that from your business. So much more. And I think if you, again, if you look back at the kind of more the original research around psychological safety, it was often in professions where there were more like life and death scenarios that Amy Edmondson's research was in. It was lots, lots in the medical profession, lots in aviation, you know, where decisions genuinely hang life in the balance. Now, in our my life, in the firms I work in, that doesn't exist. So you've not quite got the same things on the line. But I guess I'm when I look at it, I'm less focused on the avoidance of mistakes, which is one thing that psychological safety can help with. And we all want to achieve that. But the avoidance of mistakes is just avoidance. Mm. 
the thing that's the benefit in the in the kinds of firms that I would work in, in the kind of big knowledge economy type firms, is all the stuff that, that could be. We need to find out because mm. ideas are, are not known yet. The potential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on then and discuss, You we touched on this at the beginning, but that link between psychological safety at work and creating a high performance culture, because that sort of underpins what we're talking about here doesn't it tell us more about your work and you know what you've been doing and and that link that you believe exists between psychological safety and high performing teams I I mean I think for me it's the foundation of the ability to create sustainable high performance so I think back to your question on can you perform well without it sure can you perform brilliantly without it over the long term and in in a creative innovative way I don't think so, or not as well as you could. So for me, the way that certainly within our organisation we position this is that psychological safety is the foundation upon which we build our high-performance culture. So we have characteristics of the culture that we want to achieve around just like inclusion, empowerment, just a couple of examples. If you think about what psychological safety creates, logic will tell you that you can't really have an inclusive experience if you don't feel that you can speak up if you don't feel that you can experiment and make mistakes that you can share your ideas and similarly empowerment can you get on and do things in a maybe a bit more of an ask for for forgiveness rather than permission style can you do that when you don't if you didn't feel safe that you wouldn't be punished in some way shape or form for things that didn't work out perfectly hard to do that so that's how we've positioned this we've said focusing on the behavior the interpersonal behavior and the and the strategies the more process strategies that help to create psychological safety will enable the the characteristics that we want to see in the culture to emerge for me that's the responsibility of everyone yes it's the responsibility of leaders managers in the organization but I think everybody can play a part in making somewhere more psychologically safe Yeah, and we'll go back to that because I think that is helpful to maybe explore a bit more is, you know, the different parts that people can play either from a sort of a manager or a colleague perspective and, you know, how leaders within businesses can maybe support that. For the for the people that are listening today, I suppose one of the things that maybe they're wondering is, okay, well, this all sounds really good. What do I do? So what would you say and maybe sharing some of your own experiences as sort of quick wins that managers can put in place to start creating this climate of psychological safety? Um, so for, for me, it comes down to your own your own behaviour in the workplace and the choices that you make in terms of the, the behaviours that you demonstrate with your team, with your colleagues. And we talk about three particular kind of interpersonal skills that make the biggest difference. Um, and that's around humility, so making sure that people realize you don't know all the answers either because none of us do and that making sure people realize the complexity of the work uh, that you know that it's not uh, it's not easy we don't know all the answers uh, just setting that stage with that with that humility as an individual I think that makes a huge difference that also comes down to things like admitting when you make your own mistakes um, so that people know uh, that it's okay to do that because if, mm. you, if you role model that then they know that that's okay Curiosity is the second one. So um, once you've got that kind of foundation of humility, 
in how you operate, then that curiosity to really explore, that comes down to what we were saying earlier about, you know, when people share ideas, those ideas don't necessarily all get implemented, but they all get heard, they get explored, they get understood. And that active inviting ideas out of people and then exploring them together, great listening, like the fundamental piece for all of this is ge the, the genuine listening. And I'm sure your, your, um, your listeners on your podcast have seen a lot of content previously about that kind of listening continuum. But really, we worked a lot on encouraging leaders to think about that truly active even empathetic listening where you're not just listening for what people say but for what people don't say and the feelings that are underpinning things mm -hmm. and that curiosity lens from an interpersonal behavior point of view that's where that comes in and um, that's also where we recommend to people that they might use uh, more what I would call listening processes um, so facilitation processes, things you'd be familiar with from kind of sessions that people would run make, to make sure that through through a structured approach, you, you almost enable more people to be heard. Um, some of the classics like um, the devil's advocate in your meeting mm -hmm. or using the thinking hats or, or even more simple things like talking rounds um or the you know post-it note affinity diagrams rather than everybody having so those there's more tactical things we try to help people with when it comes to curiosity too um, and then the final one um is empathy yeah. so so people respond productively when people make contributions um, there's nothing more off-putting if you make a contribution than a subtle eye roll sigh whatever that people think they're hiding those reactions or they don't think they're noticeable there's nothing that will shut down individuals wanting to make contributions quicker than just the tiniest negative reaction on the receiving end particularly if that it's from somebody more senior so that empathy to respond productively in the moment empathy to destigmatize failure um, mm. it's a real biggie i love um i love the example of um, alan mulali who was the ford uh, motor uh, CEO and he talked about this concept of in their pro program management project management they would have the red amber green um, status on, on projects people would historically in that organization maybe have hidden when things were edging on the red status uh, because they thought that wasn't what the bosses wanted to hear and he talked about transforming that to say actually the red is the gem the red is the thing I want to know about because mm. I need to, at that point I need to step in I need you to be honest with me so that I can come and help resolve and move things along before we're, you know, we're too late. And that's quite a big shift to get people to feel like, have you, you know, you probably do project management uh, methodologies in your work. It's, it's, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't, it, even in a, it, if you feel psychologically safe, it doesn't feel great to put a red. So yeah. making it really officially part of the strap line, red is the gem. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I really like that. And I think also, you know, in big organizations as well, when it's that the role of maybe having to challenge or, you know, say this isn't going to work or, you know, this is this needs to be done in a different way. It's, you know, it's not always done with the people that you necessarily have a relationship with. Do you know what I mean? It's sometimes people have to come in, you know, matrix organizations or, you know, so it's about, isn't it, that whole sort of creating that whole culture where it's not just about the individual team working well, but the way of working is accepted and acknowledged across yeah. across the environment. And I suppose that's what we maybe mean by that sort of climate of psychological safety. You're hitting on a fabulous point. And I think that's where that intersection of 
what is trust, which is maybe between you and I. Mm. Do I know you well? Have we been, do, do I understand who you are and where you're coming from? To have that kind of vulnerability-based trust, you know, like Lentia and you would talk about in the high-performing teams, the vulnerability-based trust. That's great, but that's kind of more between individuals and within smaller teams. Mm. And, and that the psychological safety can't rely on that because it has to be in that broader corporate climate. So it has to be more an accepted practice that is not dependent on do I know you? Have I spent time with you? Do we do we know about each other? And do I therefore trust you? Mm. It has to be, so to, to, you're spreading that more broadly without having to make an individual relationship with all with like 8,000 people in our firm, for example. So I can't have an individual relationship with all of them, but I want to know that people can feel safe in all the contexts that they yeah. find themselves in. And I think to me, that adds to what we're talking about from you know, the the spectrum of inclusion, because, you know, if you think about how certainly, you know, I used to work in the media and how often, you know, the relationships that you had with people and the way that you got things done, or, you know, if you needed favors or if you needed, you know, support on something, it would be, you know, who you hung out with, you know, who you maybe, I don't know, I didn't play golf, but, you know, maybe who you played golf with or who you, you know, as you say, who you'd built that relationship with, but that could also be excluding for people who don't have those relationships or find it harder, you know, to kind of do that in the more traditional way. So that when you have that climate where, you know, that those behaviours are there already, you know, and accepted across a business, it then supports, you know, the, the, the side of making it a more inclusive workspace. Yeah, I I don't think we'll ever get rid, I don't know whether I'm right here or not, I don't think we'd ever get rid of the benefit of those real personal relationships. I think there's nothing that's proved that more to me than our return to being able to work together in real life sometimes than just, just remotely. But it shouldn't be the only way. Being without it should not preclude that you would be able to contribute, feel safe, and make every contribution that you have inside yourself. I think thinking about the inclusion point, it is often the case, for example, that people lower down in an organisational traditional kind of hierarchy, as you would measure it, you would see they just have less psychological safety. So they just feel a little bit less safe sharing their opinions than people higher up the hierarchy do. And that's, that's actually remarkably uncomfortable for people higher up the hierarchy. And everybody forgets that they are scarier than they think they are, particularly once you've made it up a hierarchy, you forget just forget what that felt like and you think everybody feels like you do and can't you just can't conceptualize why they would not share their ideas and that's why the the responsibility is on you as the leader to be able to to set that tone and make it feel that there is that ability to contribute no matter who you are no matter where you are kind of in that organizational positioning Mm. that you use as important as anybody else's and I think that's that speaks to that inclusion piece well because it's probably not the people at the top who have the best ideas. Like, I hate to say it, <laughs> but I believe that to be the case. The, mm. the ideas for the future are highly unlikely to be inside the people who are already at the top. They're far more likely to be in the people doing the doing. Noticing yeah. Change. Yeah. And so just to pick up on that and, and something you said earlier, because I think it was really important is you know, you, you said the word role model, but I think, you know, it is about those senior leaders role modeling these three behaviors, which you talked about. Um, I did ask you about the sort of quick wins and first steps, and this might not be a question you can answer, but I'm just wondered out of those three behaviors, 
for a business who is starting off on this journey, where, where should they prioritise? Which one should they prioritise? Uh, so my advice would be to, for each business to find out where their people actually would experience the, the most challenge. So I did that in our organisation. And so I worked with our, our senior leaders and I, this is not a, a statistically valid approach of doing this, but I did a lot of polling um, in lots of conference type environments to try to get a sense of where, where, where is it hardest for people to mm. operate? And this is self-assessment. This is not other assessments, self-assessment. But so, for example, we found in our environment that it was curiosity, which was the hardest interpersonal skill from the self-assessed perspective of our leaders. So that's where we started. So that would be my advice. It isn't, I think there's a one size fits all. I think it's, I do think those are the three key areas and find out in your organization thematically, which one people are finding the most challenging and start there. Mm. Yeah, great advice. I love the sense of curiosity and being curious for me. I mean, for me as a coach, you know, whenever anything is very sticky or there's a real sense of not being able to move forward or, you know, or, or conflict maybe, which needs to be explored is really about, well, how can you be curious about that? Um, it does. You know. It fits so much with that coaching ethos. The skills that go with curiosity fit so much in that kind of coaching culture, coaching mindset, mm. um, which I know you guys are all about. But um, I think that's that's the kind of way of leadership of the future that we need. And, and it's very much the enabler of, the, of the, the psychological safety for people to know that people are going to draw them out rather than shut them down. So we talked about sort of the leadership and I suppose the, the you know, the quick wins, but it, it is important, isn't it, that obviously this is contributed to by everybody. So what can colleagues do to help co-create this culture of psychological safety? I actually think those core skills are the fundamental skills for everyone. And I fundamentally believe that culture is supported and created bottom up not not top down or I mean I think it's a both and situation but I think that bottom up is incredibly powerful and it's kind of be the be the change you want to see is a, a probably an overused strap line but I absolutely stand by it so I think if we were all took responsibility for our own selves being humble being curious being empathetic then it would all be sorted wouldn't it because we'd all be doing it and we'd all be role modeling it and reinforcing it with one another and I think waiting for somebody else and particularly that kind of waiting for the higher ups um, to do something is not empowering. Uh, it's much more empowering to to do that behaviour uh, yourself. And we we articulate some of it, particularly within um, some core behaviours for our organisation. And we we have ours, and they are speak up, let others speak up, and listen. Mm -hmm. so that's our strap line for that. And give respect, get respect. Um, we have others, but I think those are the real fundamentals that really speak to those psychological safety behaviors yeah fantastic very very interesting and what I really love about what you've said is I think there are some clear takeaways for the people listening here today I think it's really helpful for people who are listening to just have some things which they can go and away and explore with their companies and um, what's your kind of next bit that you're exploring Katie you might not know that yet but I'm just wondering if there's a sort of for you in your journey with psychological safety where are you where do you want to take it yeah I think for, for us um, it's actually sustaining attention so it's all good to to do a campaign to do a whole load of education and engagement and yet repetition and sustaining that it's often what doesn't happen in kind of cultural movements we kind of we, we do it and we think it's done so it's, it's actually not something new 
it's continuing the focused attention that it will be for us. And I think more broadly, we notice that there's more and more interest more broadly from around our organization. As I say, the work we started with was in EMEA, but more broadly around the organization, we get a lot of we get a lot of curiosity, people intrigued and, and wanting to learn and, and, and share things more globally, which is, is fantastic. Yeah, a real good sign, isn't it, that it is, you know, sort of trickling through in terms of that campaign, as you say, and, and starting to embed, which is is what you want. Thank you so much for your time today and all of your insights. I found them really interesting and I know our listeners will as well. So thank you very much. And thank you to all of you who've listened today and do come back and uh, tune in again soon to see what we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Talking Talent. We're a coaching organization that helps you develop, advance, and retain your talent. Together, we can create a more inclusive culture where your people and your organization can thrive. You can visit us online at talking-talent.com. That's talking-talent.com. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.